Hi, and welcome to A Sober Girls Podcast. My name is Sherry, and I have been through various ups and downs over my time in sobriety. The one thing I love about my journey is that it's brought me to you and helping others in sobriety. If you are listening to this, then you are either wanting to start your journey or currently active in recovery and just want to hear other people's experience, strength, and hope. Either way, we are here for you, and we are the community to help you through whatever part of your journey you are on. We have something for everyone. Now, let's get started on today's journey. that you're doing this and I am too I am just shy a couple of years of you um I turned 41 in September so I very much remember you going to the draft and starting in San Diego and you being a cougar so through my addiction and my issues you and I kind of grew up at the same time in so many different aspects so for me, this is actually really personal because you are someone that even in my own sobriety, I've been sober for 11 years, I look up to you. And I genuinely appreciate you. I You are probably one of the very first athletes, I think, outside of like baseball and cocaine and all that stuff over there you are one of the very first athletes I remember coming out saying I have a problem and you set the tone for a lot of people so for me well I was I was I was shown that a lot right Um, right consequences for me were shown to me so I wasn't able to go out and really tell people I had a problem until until I was held accountable for, for some of the things that I had been doing and, and done. So I, I appreciate that greatly. Um, it took me a lot longer than it probably should have. And I think that's a big reason why you and I do what we do and we talk yes. about it and we use our platforms to try to help other people so they don't have to get to that same kind of bottom, but rather they can ask for help and say, I need help. I have an issue and they know there's a solution. Exactly. And I think I have seen, um, because when we come out of addiction, right, we feel alone. We feel like there's no one else like us. And so for me, when I got sober and (laughs) this is kind of, when the first day I went in, I got the little white chip and I saw other people getting chips and I'm super competitive. Right. So that's one thing that I love about you. Like you and I are like, Oh, I'm going to do this. This is, I got this like super competitive in everything. And I remember getting that first chip and I saw this guy get his 25 year and I'm like, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that. And I want the one-year chip next week. And I want the 10-year chip in three years. Like, I was going to get it all. And so, but once I realized going through the program, 
And for me, I only did AA. So I'm really kind of curious. I watched all your documentaries because it helped me feel less alone because we do feel alone. We do. We really do. And I think looking back on some of your pictures and some of my pictures and pictures that we, a lot of people say, this is what I used to look like. This is what I look like now. And luckily for me, when I purge my pictures, they're gone. Um, But for you, you don't have that luxury. Um, So when I look at your pictures and my pictures, I, I see this sadness in our eyes. I see this just loneliness. And so when you stepped out and said, I can do this, you made such a difference for so many people. And I just hope that you recognize that because it's something that's really important. And I know that you're a huge part of the Transcend Recovery community, which is really kind of interesting. Are you still heavily involved with them and working with them? Uh, I'm, I'm not. Um, okay. I've moved uh, moved on uh, to some other ventures and things like that, but they were instrumental in uh, giving me an, a platform to to be of service to others. They really are. Uh, and they continue to do great work, and uh, um, uh, I'll be appreciative and and there for them and anything they ever need. Um, it just you know it don't have the time anymore with everything else going on, and especially when you become a father. I mean, your focus goes you know really about that. But I do my best uh, to be there for others who are going through similar struggles as I have uh, or have been through, and um, it's it's. You, you've heard the saying, I'm sure, from your sponsor or for whoever, you know, you can't keep it unless you give it away. And that's that's that is the bottom line in all of this. You can't keep that peaceful, unchaotic life uh, if you don't give it away. And, and what what I mean by giving it away, it's usually your story. That's yeah. that's what you give away to help other people. Absolutely. And you do such an instrumental job with that. And I was listening to your podcast, which. We are all going to be very appreciative of, by the way, when it's all said and done. I'm a little sad that it's only like 10 to 12 episodes, but at the same time, like, I get it. That's that's a lot of episodes to explain your story. But um, one of the things that you talk about in your episodes is your, and I apologize for bringing this up because I think it's really quite interesting. Yesterday, you made the comment that you self-recognize that you are a narcissist or you have narcissistic behaviors, narcissistic tendencies. And for the longest time, I thought once I do step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, once I do all the steps, all my character defects are gone. Boom. Like, you know, I did it. I said, Hey, this is who I am. And I don't have to worry about it anymore. And a couple of weeks ago I had something pop up and I was like, Whoa, where is this coming from? Like, this isn't an issue. I'm sober. I'm in my program. I have a podcast. I don't have any character defects anymore. Like what? Why all of a sudden is this coming up? So for me, when you said that, that really rang true. And that's something I'd like to discuss, like for you and for me, like mine is one of my biggest ones is still fear. And so do you think that your character defects now are different than they were back in 2004, 2007, 2013, or with sobriety, have you just been able to recognize which ones are more buried and how do you deal with that when they come forward? 
Yeah, I think that addiction is simply a symptom to um, our mental illness. And I have yet to find somebody who's been diagnosed with uh, substance abuse that doesn't have a co-occurring mental health disorder. So that's at the forefront for me. Uh, I, I know that's always going to be there. That's the illness. Uh, and now it's a matter of how I, how I treat it uh, with the tools that I've developed over the time. So yeah, the narcissistic personality disorder, the depression, uh, the social anxiety, all of that stuff still exists. Um, it's just a matter of, of being aware of it, uh, having people around you that hold you accountable when old behavior crops up and not being defensive when shown the mirror. I think that's the biggest thing, especially for me, because to your point, you're like, I'm 10, I'm 11 years sober. Um, like, that's not me. You're just pointing out something that that's not me, clearly. But that's not true because we're all flawed, we're, no matter what. Uh, whether you're sober or not, we're flawed human beings trying to be better every day. And, and you have to remember that, that you're no better than anybody else or or worse off than anybody else. You're just going through it in your own way. And the more you work on it, the more you work on yourself, the better tools you'll have to face those things when they do crop up. Because, you know, the character defects, they, they're ingrained. You've been that way your entire life. Entire uh, life. And it takes practice. And it takes practice. I tell people all the time, it took me 38 years to 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 want to change and get to a place where that happens. And so it probably takes another 38 years to un unlearn those things. So when I'm 76, then I, I might have this thing figured out. <laughs> and that's one thing that my therapist actually told me when I left my previous marriage, I was in a very um, abusive marriage. She said, you know, you're with him for 13 years. It's going to take 13 to 15 years for your body to and your brain to understand they are no longer in that situation anymore. So I thought that was like, that's impossible. Like I'll be fine in a few months. I just need a couple months of therapy, but there's still things now in my marriage 10 years later with my new husband that are creeping up. And when I do that, when I have those character defects pop up, luckily he's really patient and he'll pull back and he'll be, kind, but I have a son um, who was also a part of that um, abusive relationship. So my husband's got kind of a double whammy and it's hard for me to describe what I went through. And being a parent is really, really important to me. And I know that you had Mav when you had sobered up. How do you think that, do you think having a child impacted your sobriety or does it make you want to be your best self or are you still very vocal and open around Maverick? Like with my son, I'm very vocal and open with him about my sobriety. Is that something I never got that chance? I was drunk for the first five years of his life. I mean, what's it like being a parent that's never drank around their child? It's, uh, it's special that, that he'll never see that version of me. Uh, if I continue to do what I'm what I'm doing currently, right? I, right? I also know that if I start to choose to do things and make poor choices, that um, having a kid's not going to stop that. I've been around so many people in my life, especially in prison, uh, that talked about how they were going to do it for their kids, yet they keep coming back. Like if you if you can't do it and aren't willing to do it for yourself, right. it doesn't matter. You you yep. you say that the child's going to do it for you, like. I, I do know that when he was born in recovery for me, there was a selflessness that just kind of waved over me in that moment, knowing that like everything I did from that moment on was going to be about him and his mom. 
right. and that's that's held true um, through this process. But uh, yeah, you can't do this for anybody else. Um, you only can do it for yourself because yep. if you present the best version of yourself, that makes the best possible version for you, uh, for your family. And so I, I live by that thought process, but I also still know that, you know, I, I've, I've messed up over the last four years because, you know, <laughs> MacGyver, being a first time dad and MacGyver being, um, you know, with a lot of tendencies that I have, um, when I watch him grow up, he's going to be big. He's going to be strong. He's going to be very athletic. Um, and, uh, and he's also going to have to uh, be my son, which, uh, as anybody knows, kids can be brutal. You know, there's going to be a day yes. and time where he comes home from school because kids at school were making fun of his dad, you know, for Ugh. maybe being a drug addict, maybe being a bus, maybe being a, a felon or being in, having been in prison, all of those things. So I have to be able to, um, make sense of it all for him and be a responsible father in that moment. Um, and, uh, and be able to tell my story. So, um, I, I need to be clear headed and coherent and, and sober, uh, when that time happens. And that is so, so true. There's times for me right now, as I'm processing my own stuff and going through my own sobriety, um, where stressors will come up and I get anxious, I get anxious really quickly. And I'm learning how to de-stress even 11 years later, I'm learning how to de-stress, meditate, things like that. So for you, you travel a lot, you're in the public eye, you're on TV all the time. So when those stressors do come up, when those things do happen and say you're not in the safe place of your home with your wife and MacGyver, or you're not around your parents, people who understand you, how do you handle stress when you're in a new environment or not feeling in a safe place, not necessarily safe, but in a controlled place. Uh, I'll usually find a meeting that, that tends to be the, the quickest answer for me is to go to a place where I'm just like everybody else, uh, a, a junkie or a drunk and, and talk to them about it. So that, that tends to be the best thing for me. Um, uh, when stressors hit also, Stress for me usually revolves around um, what other people think of me, and that's none of my business. And I've taken that to heart a lot over the last, you know, five years, especially. And, you know, I, I am who I am. I'm okay with who I am and who I see in the mirror. And that took a long time for me because growing up where I did, I was told I was bad um, for so long. As a kid, that's horrible because you yes. just take it. And then being criticized by the media uh, your whole life, you constantly hear what a horrible person you are when none of that's true. But when you're beat over the head with it, you have to find a way uh, for, for some positivity to creep back in. And that's taken a lot of time and it continues to still take time. And it's something my therapist and I work on uh, on a weekly basis. I love that. So you are also in therapy on a weekly basis. That is, oh, yeah. so, oh my God. Okay. So um, that's exciting. Cause I just decided last week I handled the pandemic really poorly. Um, we did zoom meetings and I felt like zoom meetings were impersonal and all we talked about were being locked inside and we couldn't do this and we can't do that. And I was like, well, this is ridiculous. I don't need to go to these zoom meetings anymore. So I quit going to the zoom meetings and I fed into another type of comfort, which was Twitter, Instagram, um, interpersonal, like non-personal relationships. And so 
I've just recently gotten back into therapy and we've been talking about how some people um, don't need um, mental health help in AA and some people do. So I think that's awesome that you are willing to state, hey, I have AA, I have sobriety, I have NA, but I still need this extra help. I think that's something we don't talk about enough in sobriety is the mental health aspect of it. And you're right. You were told you were bad for so long, which listening to that over the past two episodes, just like that's something you haven't addressed necessarily in some of your interviews and documentaries. So for you to repeat that, when I was listening to it, I was like, my God, like Ryan Leaf was, who told this man he was bad. And so I'm kind of curious, like, at what point did you decide, listen, sobriety is great, but I need a little bit of outside help here. I think it was always at the forefront. The substance abuse side was, like I said, a symptom. So, you know, I had to address the real issue, which was the mental illness. And uh, so that for me is uh, what AA presents is a fellowship of common um, common individuals that have gone through similar things, but not one thing can fix everything for everybody. There has to be a bunch of parts, a bunch of moving parts that exist, right? I'm of service to others. Uh, I go to AA, I see a therapist, I meditate and pray, I exercise, I put the right food in my body now. All of these things, when people reach out to me and ask for help, I give them the blueprint of what's worked for me. You know, I have a sponsor, I've done the steps, uh, I've sponsored guys. These are all the things you have to do. This will be the hardest thing you ever do. All yes. right. It's not just one thing. It's not just I quit uh, using this substance and everything is going to be fine. No. Right. You know, I was always the problem first. The substance just exacerbated it for more people to see. Right. And you said in your podcast um, that you feel a lot of, sometimes you still feel a lot of shame. And I get that feeling. I, have that. And even with the steps, even with therapy, I have a lot of shame. I have a lot of preconceived notions. You know what you said about it not being anybody else's business, what they think of us. Um, what are well, some not of my business or not in my none business? My business. Yeah, yeah. It's none of my business. What people think of me. Everybody <laughs> feels like it's their business to have a feeling about me. And also the shame piece of it yeah. is, is, um, I don't have sh- I don't have any shame at all anymore. I understand who I am. I'm a good person. Um, I did a bad thing, yep. and uh, um, and I think I was shamed for so long that that I started to believe I was a bad person. Yeah. And no one's a bad person. No. no one is. Ultimately, inherently, they're not. They may have done a bad thing, and therefore uh, there are consequences that that come from it. So, um, Brene Brown is huge uh, with the shame piece. Um, if anybody out there who's listening, you know, that is a a great place to, to look inwardly around shame and guilt, uh, those types of things. Uh, I don't know if you know, Tom Brady is, is named his, his TV show on ESPN plus called man in the arena. And that is such a Brene Brown, uh, thing. Uh, and it, 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 it's incredibly meaningful and, and makes a lot of sense. So, okay, well that, that is really awesome. So what are some minus AA in therapy? What are some really like you talk Brene Brown. She is amazing. What are some books and things that you have read that you really have enjoyed in recovery? 
Uh, Ryan Holiday writes a book called Ego is the Enemy. That's been incredibly helpful for me simply because, you know, ego was such a uh, conduit to to my addiction and the way I thought and my ego um, being a problem. So that's been very helpful. Uh, some books that uh, are, are just great storytellers. Uh, Lauren Hillebrand, who wrote Unbroken, Unbroken about Louis Zamperini, who went off and, and ran in the Olympics and then went into World War II and was shot down in a plane, spent time in, on the ocean uh, for many, many days, sharks circling, then in PO, POW camps in Japan and on the islands until ultimately coming back home. Wow. And, uh, and if there's any moment that I feel special or that I feel like I'm unique or like, I, like it's just too tough, um, his story just reminds you because all of that, everything he went through, he still came home and couldn't find peace until he got sober because he used it to, um, to hide and to numb away all the things that had gone on. So he had to address them. And that's what I'm doing in this podcast and in, in with my platform of talking to others. This is therapeutic and informed for me because it allows me to get these things off my chest, own what I did, um, be accountable for it, but know that, that that doesn't make me bad. It makes me uh, human and in uh, and, and, and the hopes that, that, that I can help somebody else through the process. And you really absolutely have. I think that... Um... I've seen so much selflessness from from you. And one of the things that I noticed yesterday when I was listening to your podcast, you were talking about Brad Tillman when he went and served overseas and he left um, football. And that for me um, really hit home. Hi. I'm a wife of a veteran. Um, my first spouse served in Iraq and whatever. And when you talked about him and the selflessness that he had, I heard what that meant in your voice. I could hear the shakiness and this, like, I never thought that it would have an impact the way that it did. You know, I never thought that, I never know what other athletes think of other athletes, you know, and my business and I don't care, but that was so, so special. And something that showed me how much love and empathy and care and selflessness you actually have. And I believe that your friends and I thought it was funny when you said that your some of your teammates weren't your friends because they but they said they went along with it. So I thought they were my friends. So how has the NFL community and the college football community embraced this new Ryan Leaf? How have you made a difference in some lives? I know right now, I don't know if you've heard, Everson Griffith is going through an issue. Yep. And I, my heart just is torn. And so that's got to hit home for you. How has that impact been with Ryan Leaf in the NFL and college community? Well, the college community has been amazing, right? Uh, there's been many NFL or college coaches that have had me in to speak to the team every year, uh, you know, to to tell my story and and try to be there to support these young men. The NFL is a different story altogether. The, the NFL is a money making machine, so there's no there's no interest uh, 
in, in any of the players, really. They, they know they can continue to generate and make more. So I would really like to know what kind of um, protocols were in place with Everson Griffith because this is something that's happened in the past. It's yes. been an issue that he's had to deal with. So I would have really liked to know when you when you make this kind of investment in somebody, uh, understand that there's protocols and things that go into place. I'd, I'd love to know what what was what protocols and what precautions were taken through this process and how they were supporting him in right. his mental illness. Um, right. I, I could see the Minnesota Vikings definitely having an impact on that because of of their care for the player and everything like that. But but over overriding forces at the NFL, I mean, they don't they don't care about players. Players continue to die on their watch. Yes. Former players. Uh, and they just, you know, their their biggest thing is a, a social media post with uh, thoughts and prayers or something like that. And it's uh, it's sad. Uh, it's not I right. mean, I've I've really gotten away from not necessarily watching it, but the more I grew up and the as I got older and saw what the NFL was, and you know, watching some of my favorite players suffer with mental health issues. It's one of those things that I wish organizations would take more seriously. And I love the fact that college football has had you come in and talk to people. Have you had any students that have reached out to you and said, hey, Ryan, I think I'm having a problem. I'm so glad you're here talking, man, because I didn't want to say anything to coach, but. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's been the biggest impact is their ability to have a, a, a ear to talk to where they felt uh, it was trusted and stuff. And it's uh, probably spoken now to. 50, 50 or so um, programs up to this point. And uh, it's been incredibly rewarding. Um, can you hear saying me? For my, out with yeah, it's saying my computer is not allowing Riverside podcast. to record. Please refresh to continue recording. So help you on the road to recovery, or if anything, help you understand. Oh, go ahead that if you and are not active in recovery. Refresh. You should be you able to refresh your page. Here for you. It's still recording don't from last to time. So like and follow us wherever you recording listen to your too. podcast, mm-hmm. so you don't miss another episode. Also, you can follow us on okay. Instagram there. and Twitter at the Sober Girls Pod. And okay. online, right. it's still so we're good. So we're good. Information about sobriety <laughs> at a sober Yep. No, that's totally perfect. Okay. So anyway, um, actually, I we have I have about five minutes left, week. so this and is perfect. So time, to um, be well. uh, kind of round all this out, what is one thing that you have wanted to help people understand is it we've already talked about that we don't mind um people knowing who we are so what is it with your podcast that you are accomplishing well i'm i'm accomplishing the ability to have it on the record right i know many people have reached out to me uh regarding some of my speeches to uh, local communities or to football programs and this is this is different Podcasts don't exist in this storytelling form. It's usually with guests and things like that. Uh, this is me in front of a microphone telling yes. you my story. There yes. are so many things that have never been told from my point of view because everybody else felt entitled to tell my story for me. Yep. And, you know, that's fine. But this is my opportunity. I, I uh, partnered up with Kevin Connolly for all you Entourage fans out there. Um, oh. 
and uh, Kevin played the, the character E on that show for for years and years and years. And Kevin's my producer, uh, my business partner on this, and we trust each other immensely. And uh, he's been very instrumental. My uh, my partner Anna, uh, she has produced it as well. She knows my story better than anybody's um, too. And so uh, it's been really therapeutic to be able to walk into a, a setting where it's just you and a microphone and and. You can tell this story so others out there that are going through something similar or can hear relatable things, uh, it, it will showcase and show them that there is a solution. And especially if Ryan can do this and find this piece, then I can. And so that's the most important thing. This 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 podcast has zero to do with me and everything to do with, with my fellow human beings who are going through similar or, or something same. Yeah. And I do appreciate you taking the time to do this because there was one thing when I sobered up and when I decided to do this podcast, I thought I am not one of these amazing, famous people. No one's going to listen to me. No one's going to want to hear my story. But I thought, you know what? My story helps other people. Right. And when I reached out to you, I actually reached out to you a couple of years ago because you had the um, Minnesota Gophers in the top 10. And like, that was so exciting <laughs> for me. I'm like, I knew I liked this guy. <laughs> um, so when I reached out to you and asked you and you were like, absolutely. I was like, uh, what? Like, Ryan, yeah, wait, <laughs> Ryan, okay, let's do this. So really, thank you. Thank you for doing this. And I am encouraging everyone to listen to your podcast because it is, holy crap, Ryan, it is so, so good for hearing your story. You well, are, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's raw and it's yes. transparent and it's uncensored. Yes. <laughs> Anna, my, Anna, after giving me some notes back on the first episode says, you sure swear a lot. And I said, <laughs> well, if you thought I swore a lot in that episode, you better be ready for like five and six. That's not going to be. I turned to my husband heart. and I said the same thing. And I was like, I just heard Ryan Leaf say fuck. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and he's like, did you think he didn't swear after everything he's been through? And I'm like, no, but I heard him say it. And he's like, you were such a nerd. So, but I love that. There's Ron. truth in that. Like I'm on TV all the time and I don't curse because I yes. can't. And so you're just in this setting where you're talking about things and there's emotion behind it. And it's just like, yes. you know, Absolutely. and I think, I think, I think like when I say fuck, it's, it's an, it's, there's an emphasis to it. That's different than it's anybody an else. It's an answer, my friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for doing this for me. And not just for me, this is something that's really important to me. My sobriety is so important to me that I saw there was an article about women um, during the pandemic, the rate in alcoholism went up in young females during the pandemic. So for me, even though it's not the pandemic, we are falling and we need people to understand they're not alone. And I appreciate you saying you're not alone. If I can do it, you can do it. And you really do like, Anna is, she is so amazing. She is so yeah, awesome she's pretty great. <laughs> and patient and loving and, you know, I just want you to know from my perspective, and I am nobody, that there is nothing that makes me happier than seeing you 
happy and succeeding because my life isn't what it used to be, wasn't what I thought it was going to be. But now I am sitting here having a conversation with someone that I've looked up to for the past 10 years. I'm talking to Ryan. I wanted to talk to you on the sidelines, but now I have your email address. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> so thank you for doing this. And thank you for doing this for the community. And I hope you guys have an awesome Thanksgiving. You too. You keep up the great work. You're an in- inspiration to a lot of people and that's important. Well, thank you, Ryan. You have a great rest of your afternoon and I will be in touch soon. All righty. All righty. Bye. Bye.